Well, it might be raining, but at least it's Friday and it's after 5 o'clock. Oh, yeah. And it's time for Ask the Preacher. Your weekly chance to find out Bible questions. Get them all answered. It's brought to you by Believer's Fellowship Church. Ask the Preacher. John Freed is your host, but he's out today. Sitting in is George Locke. Yep, 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 Welcome back to Ask the Preacher, everybody. It is Friday, best day of the week. Uh, hey, if you want to join in on the conversation, the phone number is 863-682-1430. That's 682-1430. We're going to be talking about a bunch of different stuff today, but you can call in, and if you have a question that's either on topic or completely off topic from what we're talking about, that's okay. We'll do our best to answer the questions. So uh, <clears throat> I wanted to say great job to Jarius last week for filling in. Uh, I was a bit under the weather. I really wanted to be with you guys last week, though. I uh, just couldn't couldn't manage to do it. So Jarius, thank you for filling in. But I wanted to be with you guys um, because June 5th was Pentecost Sunday. And uh, it's one of my favorite times of the year. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But before we do that, I want to make one more shout out. Uh, we took our children to a VBS, that's a vacation Bible school, uh, this week at one of the local churches. And it was fantastic. And I want to encourage everybody, if you got kids, if you got grandkids, if there are kids in your neighborhood, whatever, uh, take them to a VBS this year. You know, we're so worried about the world and how it's being confused and how chaos seems to be running rampant. One of the best things you can do is teach children truth. So take them to uh, one of the VBSs this year. Believers Fellowship is having our VBS uh, July 11th. And so you can go to believersfellowship.com to learn more about that. It's believersfellowship.com slash VBS. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that over the next coming weeks. But VBS is awesome. I remember going to VBS as a kid. I remember the stories and the shows and the interactions, and your kids will love it. Uh, again, Believers Fellowship, we're having ours July 11th, but there are all kinds of churches doing all kinds of uh, VBSs between now and then. So go to a couple this year. Take your kids to a couple. It would be awesome. Uh, so, yeah, last Sunday would have been Pentecost Sunday, June 5th. And it's an amazing time uh, because it is one more fulfillment of the law. Uh, I, as we talk today, and, and if you guys have listened to myself cover the program in the past, uh, I am a nerd. I believe that everything in the Bible is there for a reason. Every word, every letter, every number is there specifically for a reason. And uh, when we're talking today, I might not give you every single scripture reference. I might not read every single verse. I'll tell you, hey, this is in the Bible. Here's where it's at. Go look it up because you got to be adults and look up some of the information on your own. And in that vein, I'm going to go with uh, some interesting things that are found when the law was given at Sinai to Moses and to the people. And when one more fulfillment of the law occurred on the day of Pentecost. You know, it's really interesting. You, you read the story of Moses, and he's on Mount Sinai, and he's talking to God face-to-face -face as one would speak to a friend. Um, and he's getting the law from God, and he comes down from the mountain. The children are 
the, the children of Israel, they're not doing the right thing. They've already gone into idolatry, and they're trying to worship golden cows, and they're messing up. And, and uh, long story short, 3,000 of them are put to death. Moses commands that 3,000 of them are put to death. And that's, for lack of a better term, when the law was given, 3,000 were put to death. But when the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit was poured out as it was prophesied in Joel chapter 2 and Peter stands up and he begins to speak and the, the disciples in the upper room, they're speaking, uh, 3,000 people received the gospel of Jesus Christ and were brought to life that day. And it's this really neat, you know, it's just one more coincidental, if you will, picture that's given to us in the Bible, one of those things in the Bible that you could just very easily look over, kind of ignore, you know, you read it, Sinai, 3,000 people put to death, oh, that's weird, you know, of course, that's just, you know, the Old the old Testament God being mean and, and putting people to death and, you know, all these things, you could just ignore it. But when you realize how nothing in the Bible is there on accident, there's nothing there by mistake Every jot and tittle or every dotted I or crossed T, they're all there for a reason. Um, it's interesting to see that when the law was given, 3,000 uh, were, were essentially put to death because of, of the requirements of the law. But when the law was continuing to be fulfilled by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus, 3,000 were brought to life on the day of Pentecost. And so it's just a really neat time. And there's, you know, we could talk about Shavuot, uh, the day of Pentecost, and, and all of the great mysteries uh, that are behind it. And it would probably take us a couple days, a couple episodes to go through all of that, and we still wouldn't scratch the surface. But for me, I think it's interesting, just one more evidence that nothing in the Bible is there on accident. It's not there by mistake, and neither are you. You were made for a time such as this, uh, for a world that's chaotic and, and uh, seemingly confused as our world is today. You were made for such a time, and you're listening to Ask the Preacher at such a time so that you can join in on the conversation as well. I want to remind you it's 863-682-1430. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of different things. we got some questions that people... Uh, Submit it to askthepreacher.com that we're going to tackle when we come back from this break. Join us in just a few minutes. Hey, but right now, let's get back to more of Ask the Preacher. Brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church. John Freed is who normally is in here, but today it's all George. Welcome back, everybody, to Ask the Preacher. I know, I know. Hold back your tears. John is gone, but I'm filling in, and I would love for you to join us today. Phone number to join in and have your questions answered or uh, to give us a comment is 863-682-1430. And uh, we have a question here. It's a pretty good one. Uh, and it also goes uh, ties in with, with Pentecost a bit. So the question asked, and I'll do my best not to butcher the question here. It's, uh, why was Jesus baptized? And uh, second question to it is, did he sin? Question mark. So I'm going to answer the, the first question first. That seems biblical, right? First shall be last. 
Uh, did Jesus sin? No. No, he did not sin. He was the only uh, man to not sin. He was the only one to keep the law perfectly because he himself is the fulfillment of the law, the embodiment of the law. So uh, then there's this question, well, then why did he get baptized? And that is a pretty darn good question, in my opinion. Um, you got to look at baptism. There's three main reasons why we get baptized. And so that was a, a good question. I appreciate it. If we look at the day of Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2, we see that uh, Peter is giving this great speech, and we just talked about that a little bit in the first segment. And one of the things that Peter mentions in Acts chapter 2, uh, he's, he's going on, he's giving this great speech, and he's going all the way from, you know, the foundations of the faith uh, through the prophecies of Joel. And in chapter 30, uh, let's start with 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is unto you and your children and all that are far off. And it goes on continuing to talk about this. So uh, we see here that Peter is making uh, a call for people to be baptized and to have their sins forgiven. And again, we could probably talk about this for about six hours, but I'm going to do my best to condense it. I need you guys to be good Bereans and search the scriptures to see if these things are so uh, and to make sure they're accurate. But basically, there are three reasons you, you get baptized in Christianity. Reason number one and, and what most folks equate baptism to is uh, just that. It's a showing that your sins have been forgiven. The act of being dunked underwater or having water sprinkled on your head does not in and of itself save you. It is an outward expression of the change that has occurred because your sinful nature has been crucified with Christ and you have now received his nature, a person who is in right standing with God, because of what Christ did on the cross, not because of our good works. Baptism is a symbol, it's an outward show to everybody that I have been crucified with Christ, buried, and as Christ rose from the grave, I too am rising out of the water, I am risen to new life with him. And that's reason number one for baptism. But there are actually two other reasons for baptism. The idea of baptism itself did not start with the day of Pentecost and Peter here in Acts chapter 2, 38. Obviously, we see in Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized himself by John the Baptist. And that's what this question was in reference to. Why was he baptized? And so we have to look at baptism in those days. Prior to Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting, why were people baptized? And primarily people were baptized because they were submitting themselves to a rabbi. Back in Jesus' time, we even see this with his disciples. He says to his disciples, come, follow me. I will be your rabbi. I will be your teacher. And so what you would do in first century Judaism is you would, uh, if you didn't follow a, voc a vocation of being a fisher or a you know, tax collector or a baker, 
You would follow a rabbi. He would become your teacher, and you would submit your life to be just like that rabbi. You would eat what they ate. You would sleep when they slept. You would walk where they walked. You would learn what this rabbi taught you, and in turn, you would repeat it. You would speak what what you learned from your rabbi. So when Jesus was getting ready to be baptized here in Matthew 3, and we're going to actually just turn to it because it's such a small section of the Bible. It's one of those things we, we talked about a minute ago where you could just overlook it. You could just read right over it and forget all about it. It's it's uh, Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. It's four verses. It says, And Jesus came from Galilee uh, to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbid him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, and you come to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. So John allowed it, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went straight up out of the water, and the heavens were opened unto him, and said, I'm sorry, and he saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and lightning upon him, and a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then it goes on to talk about the temptation of Christ and how he was led by the Spirit out to the wilderness. And so it's this, uh, you could almost overlook this scenario. It begs the question, well, why was it there? Well, Jesus didn't sin. He obviously hadn't been crucified and resurrected, so he wasn't giving himself a symbol that I'm going to be buried and then resurrected. He did mention that later, the sign of Jonah. But in this example, it wasn't happening. And he wasn't submitting himself to John as a rabbi, which is another reason people would be baptized. They're submitting themselves under a rabbi for teaching. So why was Jesus baptized? What is this fulfillment of righteousness thing he's talking about? Well, it's pretty interesting. When we look at some of the first cleansings, ritual cleansings, we see that uh, back in Numbers, Moses is anointing priests. Uh, And during this, they would be essentially baptized. And it was roughly around their 30s that this would occur. And so the, the, the short of it is Jesus wasn't being baptized for forgiveness of sin. He hadn't sinned. He never sinned. He wasn't submitting himself under John to have John be his rabbi because obviously Jesus continues to go on to do his own ministry. And even John recognizes, oh, Jesus, I should be under you. So it leads us to this third reason for baptism. Jesus was becoming baptized, for lack of better term, into the priesthood. See, the high priest in the Old Covenant he would become the sin bearer for the whole year. And then on the Day of Atonement, he would transfer the sins to the scapegoat and the scapegoat would go out to Azazel. In order for Jesus to become our high priest as he is now, he had to literally fulfill the law's requirement to become a priest. And so Jesus himself was baptized by John, who was a son of a priest, so that Jesus could become not just a priest, but ultimately become our high priest, so that our sins could be transferred to him and then ultimately dealt with and sufficed, the law's demand sufficed on the cross. And so we, too, 
become baptized nowadays for three reasons. Reason number one, an outward show that I have been crucified with Christ, and as he was buried and rose again, I too have been uh, buried, my sin is buried, and I am risen to new life in Christ. Reason number two we get baptized, it's because it's an outward showing that Jesus is now our rabbi. Where he walks, we walk. As he talked, we talk. And third, it's because we are being baptized as priests. Scripture time and time again tells us that we are part of his family. If we've received his gift, we are part of his family. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation of kings. And so we now fulfill this role as a priest, not the high priest. The high priest is Jesus, who constantly intercedes for us, who is our advocate before the Father. But we are priests unto God, on behalf of God, to the people. We are supposed to be fulfilling that role. As Jesus reconciled men unto God, we are supposed to uh, reconcile people unto Jesus in that same vein, point to the high priest. And so that was a great question. Why did Jesus get baptized? Because he was becoming our high priest so that he could take our sin. And why should we get baptized? Well, those three reasons we just talked about. Hey, if you want to join us, you can ask a question that's on topic or ask something that's off topic. The phone number is 863-682-1430. We got a whole lot more to discuss after the break coming up, but we want to hear from you. We'll see you in just a little bit. Hey, let's get back to more Ask the Preacher. Let's get our Bible questions answered. And they've got a bunch of them today. Ask the Preacher brought to you by Believer's Fellowship Church. John Freed's a regular host, but sitting in today is George Locke. Welcome back from the break, everybody. Hey, just a reminder, if you want to call in, be part of the conversation, phone number is 863-682-1430. That's 682-1430. You can also go to Ask thepreacher.com. You can check out previous episodes there. You can submit questions and maybe we will answer them on the following week's uh, program. So you got to tune in and see if we answer your question. But we have another question here. Oh, oh boy. These are going to, these are going to get me in trouble. Great. Here we go. We're going to, we're going to try not to, uh, don't yell at me if you don't like my answers, people. We're going to go with it. I'm going to do my best to answer them. A lot of these we can spend four hours on or more. But here's the question. Can demons make you think a certain way? Can the fallen angels put thoughts in your head? Oh, boy. Okay. So a couple things. One, when it comes to things like, uh, we'll call them, we'll, we'll, we'll call it the, the term demonology, the study of demons. I don't think this stuff is supposed to be straying forbidden. I don't think we're supposed to be unwise to it. I just don't think it's supposed to be our primary topic, our primary focus. Our big focus is salvation and the fact that we can be reconciled to God. With that being said, let's answer the question. Can demons make you think a certain way? Can fallen angels put thoughts in your head? Um, I kind of like the way the question is asked because... Um, there's this distinction here between demons and fallen angels, and there's a lot of scholarly work out there. Um, one great scholar, uh, Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser, he has a book on 
Uh, I'm pretty sure it's just called Demons. And uh, it is, he is one of the most profound Hebrew scholars of our day. And he does a great job breaking down, in his opinion, and it happens to also be mine, this distinction between demons and fallen angels and, and um, how in your Bible there's not just this category of one fallen angel category and they all are listed under that category. Well, there's, there's different kinds of angelic, divine, spiritual beings. There's, there's different kinds listed uh, with different roles. And uh, one of the things that Dr. Heiser points out uh, is that there seems to be a distinction between demons and fallen angels. Fallen angels, much like other uh, non-fallen angels in Scripture, they are able to have bodies and, and they can interact with the physical world around them. Um, and there seems to be this distinction between that and demons, where demons, they, they want to embody uh, a physical entity. They don't seem to have as much power. Uh, we, we, what we do see in Scripture, where demons are um, speaking with Jesus, and they, you know, have you come to torture us be- before our time, uh, Son of God? And then they ask to be cast into the pigs, and there's a whole study on that. But uh, to answer the question, can demons make you think a certain way, I think they can influence you. There are three levels of uh, spiritual interactivity. There, there's, uh, there's oppression, uh, then there's depression, and finally there's possession. And once somebody becomes indwelled with an evil spirit, um, I believe you're pretty much at their mercy um, until you are delivered through the power of the Holy Spirit by uh, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus goes to mention it, a strong man, he's, he's talking to his disciples about this whole spiritual warfare scenario, and he mentions how uh, when an evil spirit is in a house, it needs to be uh, bound, removed, and then the house needs to be filled. And he's referring to the Holy Spirit filling somebody so that you don't become uh, worse off, seven times worse than, than before with uh, even more evil spirits. So can demons make you think a certain way? I suppose if you're possessed, yeah, you could be uh, influenced in your thoughts to think or act a certain way. Uh, but if you are not possessed, if you are simply being uh, oppressed or depressed, uh, they can influence your thought. But uh, ultimately, you are responsible for your own actions. And, you know, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, John and I. Uh, we were talking about why do bad things happen, and we talked about the works of the flesh. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we try to give the credit or, um, you know, to, to either demons or the devil. You know, they, they make bad things happen. Well, a lot of the things that are wrong in our world are because of the acts of the flesh, lusts, envy, wrath, rage, jealousies. These are things just from our sinful nature. But as Jesus said, uh, we should not marvel that even the evil spirits uh, submit to those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. But we should marvel and rejoice that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that we are saved. Uh, that's the most important thing. And in my opinion, and again, we could probably talk about this a, a million different ways, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't really have to worry about any of that because uh, he won't share his habitation with other entities. Uh, the Holy Spirit won't share his habitation and his property. He won't suffer his children uh, to be indwelled with with uh, other 
demonic entities. So the short answer is, if you're not saved, you're in trouble. If you are saved, if you've received the Holy Spirit, you should be fine. <laughs> right, we got another question here. Uh, who is Lilith? That's all the question says, is who is Lilith? So uh, I'm going to have to take a guess here and say that uh, the questioner is probably giving reference to an entity that is not really found in Scripture. Um, the short of it is in the 1st and 2nd century, there's some writings from Gnostic writers about this alleged first wife of Adam. Uh, that is who I assume the questioner is referring to. And there's not really anything in Scripture that proves that there was anyone made before Adam and Eve. There are ideas about pre-Adamic races and folks who existed before Adam, and folks will cite passages in Jeremiah uh, 23 or 28 to try to justify that. But a lot of the writing about Lilith and, and Adam's first wife and all that, it comes from things like the first book of Adam and Eve. It comes from Talmud and, and uh, writings that are traditions of men found in the first and second century. They're not in the scripture. So, uh, in my opinion, the whole theory of Lilith and, and Adam's first wife, I think it's just a bunch of hogwash. Uh, we could probably have more detailed discussion about that one day, and, and maybe we'll tackle it one day. But the short of it is uh, I, I just don't find any scriptural base for it. Um, but to answer the question, who was it? Allegedly Adam's first wife. I don't find any scriptural evidence for it. Uh, I think it's pretty clear sin entered the world through Adam, but just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, life comes through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, and because of what he's done for us. So, oh boy, we got one more question here that this one's really going to get me in trouble. Are Mormons Christians? I'm going to do my best to answer this, I'm going to do my best to answer it without being too offensive. And here's my, my uh, there's a lot of presuppositions in this. I will not cast judgment on an individual person and what an individual believes. Um, there are many people who sit in evangelical churches who would like to call themselves a Christian and they are not. Um, so for me to cast judgment on somebody who sits in a different particular church and say they are or are not a Christian... Uh, is not for me to to decide. But what I can say is this, and maybe we'll tackle this uh, a little bit more after the break, but what I can say is this. Uh, can a person be a Christian? Well, the word Christian means little Christ, and I suppose even if you are somebody who doesn't profess to believe in the Messiah, there are still things you can do to be Christ-like. You can be kind to people. You can speak truth. And in that sense... Yeah, you are being Christ-like by speaking truth and being kind and loving. So I suppose the question is, are they born again? That is a different topic that we are going to tackle after the break. To join in on the conversation, call 863-682-1430. We're going to get into some hot water and a little bit of trouble right after this break. Fourth and final segment of this afternoon's Ask the Preacher program, brought to you by 
Believers Fellowship Church. John Freed is our regular host, but he's out today. Sitting in is George. Welcome back to Ask the Preacher. Hey, just a reminder, you can join in. 863-682-1430. Have your questions answered. Join in on the conversation just before the break. Uh, we had a question that was just trying, trying to get me into trouble. And uh, so I'm going to do my best to articulate it here in what I believe. This is my two cents. If it hits the floor, I won't be offended. But I would like you to uh, take it with a grain of salt. So the question was, are Mormons Christian? And uh, before the break, I said that, well, I, I suppose anybody could act like Christ when we uh, give kindness and when we speak truth, uh, because he was kind and he is the truth. Um, however, does that mean that they're born again? And so we got to kind of tackle what does that mean? So Nicodemus came to Jesus and you know, asked, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus gives the all famous, well, you must be born again. And there's a lot of debate as to what that really means, but here's the—I'll spare you the 46-hour Bible seminary lesson. Here's the short of it. To be born again, you're born of uh, both the Spirit, meaning we have received a new nature. See, all of us have violated God's law. Every single one of us have uh, told a lie, which makes us a liar, which means we violated God's law. And thus, we should pay the penalty required by the law, which is death. We've all done other things to break the law, stolen things, committed fornication, hated our brother in our heart, so on and so forth. We deserved what the law required, which is death. Jesus, never violating the law, took our place and became sin for us, fulfilling the law's demand for the death penalty. When he took our place, there was a legal transaction that was occurring. He was the sinner on the cross, fulfilling the law's requirement. He now offers us the opportunity to be a person in right standing with God, justified just as if we have never sinned, to be daily sanctified, daily cleansed and renewed, to receive his nature so that we can be like him. He took our sinful nature, crucified it on the cross. We receive his nature to be as he is. First John tells us that we are to uh, be as he is. It says that uh, just as, as Christ is, so are we too on this current earth. Um, and so to be born again is to receive that new nature. It is also... A reference to the resurrection of the dead, which, uh, again, giving you some historical context because I'm a nerd and I like to be a nerd. Uh, there were two religious groups primarily of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. One believed that there was a physical resurrection of the dead when the Messiah would establish his kingdom, and the other group did not. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. That's prophesied many times in Scripture. The Sadducees did not. That's why they were sad, you see. So to be born again, it is to receive the new nature based on what Jesus did on the cross and our faith in his completed work, not based on our works. And ultimately someday, 
we will receive new bodies. It will be the resurrection of the dead. We'll receive new bodies, which are no longer tainted by the curse of sin, but they will be just like Jesus's resurrected body after his resurrection. So, our Mormons, and I'll include this with any other group, whether it's Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, Catholics, Latter-day um, Seventh-day Adventist, Southern Baptist, Word of Faith, United Pentecostal, whoever, if you believe that Jesus Christ has taken your sin nature and crucified it, and you can now receive his nature, his righteousness, based on what he did, not based on how good you are or if you are baptized or if you're part of a particular church, it's simply based on what he did on the cross, you believe in that legal exchange of nature, well, then you're born again. And you are, it's kind of an already but not yet thing. You are justified. You are currently born again. And every day you're being born again. You're being sanctified. You're being renewed. Your spirit is uh, constantly being transformed and conformed to be like him. And so just because you go to a particular church and sit in a particular pew, I don't think that makes you born again or not. It's what do you believe? Why do you believe it? And I'll take it a step further. I think there's a difference between doctrine and theology. Theology is a big fancy word that simply means the study of God. And I would include Christology, who is Christ. It's the study of God and, and Jesus. Who is Jesus? What is man's relationship with him? If you believe that Jesus is Yahweh, the uncreated God, he is the one who before Abraham was, I am. He always existed. As Colossians tells us, through him all things, everything was created, and without him nothing can exist. If you believe Jesus is that uncreated God, that he became uh, flesh, dwelt among us, lived the perfect life, crucified and rose again, and you can receive his nature, you got good theology. I think you're part of the kingdom. If you believe Things after that, whether we should speak in tongues, whether we receive divine healing, whether or not uh, I'm supposed to abstain from caffeine or something like that. I think all that's doctrine, and to some extent, it's irrelevant. Not completely, not completely. There are some doctrines that will really mess you up. So it's important for us to study true good doctrine, avoid doctrines of demons, but for the most part, if you got good theology, you're at least a baby in Christ. You're born again. And that's what's important. After that, it's, it's vital for you to continue to grow, to get involved in a church and in a group that is founded strictly in the Bible. Sola Scriptura. Don't believe the traditions of men, the doctrines of men, because we're all fallible. We all make mistakes. You got to search the scriptures. And as as Paul writes, you got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So I hope I did a good job answering that question without getting into too much trouble. The long and short of it is, if you believe in the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross and your salvation is dependent on what he has done and him alone, well, then you're born again. You're part of the kingdom. And if your salvation requires anything besides that, anything, Besides that, you need to check yourself because now you're, 
you're preaching a different gospel other than what the disciples and and uh, is mentioned in Scripture. So hopefully we didn't get to too much trouble. Hey, I want to remind you guys that Vacation Bible School happening at all kinds of churches. There's probably a church. Uh, I, when I first moved to Polk County 12, 13 years ago, I realized there were more churches than people here in Polk County. And uh, there's probably a church a stone's throw from your house. So get your kids into a VBS. Believers Fellowship Church is having a VBS on July 11th through the 15th. It's going to be a five-day journey into ancient Israel. We're going to uh, have a pretty neat experience for the kids where they are going to travel back in time and find out not only what uh, God's ultimate plan was, but what is God's plan for them specifically. So we will look forward to seeing you at Vacation Bible School. It's July 11th through the 15th at Believers Fellowship. You can learn more by going to believersfellowship.com. It was great to be with you this week. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Preacher.